never forget, I think part of us making sure that we never forget, that we continue to honor those who died that day and those who uh, gave uh, of themselves in the days to follow, is to make sure that we continue to honor those first responders. And so what I'd like to do is ask those of you who are in the room, who are police officers, who are firefighters, those who are EMT, those first responders. I know we have some in the room. Uh, would you stand? Some who have retired. I know Troy's uh, retired, just doing something different. Others? How about this? Do we have, could I have you the right, the right family? Could we have this, you guys just stand as a family? Do we have others in the room? Your son, your daughter, uh, your parent uh, is or was a first responder. Do we have other, any other families in the room that that would... Can we honor the Wright family and just thank them for their service? Thank you. And if there's someone on the other side of that camera this morning watching that is a police officer, a firefighter, EMT, um, thank you. Thank you for what you do in our communities, and thank you for what you do uh, for our families each and every day. Uh, we won't forget. I watched a lot of the coverage yesterday morning, as I'm sure most of you did, and uh, it's hard to imagine. It's been 20 years, right? And it was hard to watch. It brought back, some of you didn't experience it, right? Some of you are young enough where this is just stuff you've seen on TV. You didn't live it, but a lot of us, we lived it. Uh, we, we walked through it, and uh, it, it's, it's hard to watch, but I think it's important. It's, it's important to listen to some of those things that took place and to watch it again so that we don't forget. Because a lot of terrible things did happen that day, for sure, but there were a lot of incredible things that happened that day, too. We witnessed some incredible strength and courage as police officers, firefighters, and others went into those buildings, went into those places of, of death and destruction. We, we saw the aftermath of what happened in Shanksville, and we, and we now understand that those passengers of Flight 93, they sacrificed their own lives for the sake of others. And it's important that we don't forget their stories uh, to, to honor their memory, but it's also important for us, I think, to gain inspiration from their strength and courage, because strength and courage to do hard things in an emergency, in a time of crisis, uh, that kind of strength and courage comes from somewhere. And for some, it's formal training, right? Those who are police officers and firefighters, EMTs, they've got formal training that gives them a level of strength and courage to go do really, really hard things in a time of crisis or in an emergency. And sometimes it's just people that have had life experiences that over time have prepared them for a particular moment in time where they find themselves in an emergency, they find themselves in a time of crisis, and they step up. And uh, it's not that they train for it, but they look back over their lives and they can see how these different life experiences prepared them for that moment. And then there are those that just have this God-given calling on their hearts, on their lives. There's something in them that God put inside their soul 
that, that drives them to want to protect others, that drives them to want to rescue others in times of danger. And of course, it's for some a combination of those things. But what about the strength and courage that you and I need for everyday life? Because not every hard thing that you and I have to do is the difference between life and death. Thankfully, not every day is making a decision between life and death. There may be things in your life that are really hard and cause you fear. Maybe you have to give a presentation at school this week, or maybe a presentation at work, and it's causing you fear to get up in front of people. Maybe you're starting a new job, and and the uncertainty of that, will people like me, will will I be able to... uh, perform this job to to a level of satisfaction for my employer, and it's causing within you some insecurity. Maybe there's a change happening in your life right now that you didn't ask for. And there's uncertainty of what the future is going to bring, and that uncertainty is causing you some level of anxiety. Maybe you're just nervous about how people are going to respond to you when you choose to live out your faith. When you maybe step into a conversation that's happening, instead of stepping out of it, and and it's a, a conversation about something that Christian values, that the truth of God's Word is not popular in our American culture, and instead of being silent, instead of stepping out of that conversation, you you hang in there, but it causes you fear. How are they going to respond to me if I share what I believe? Maybe you are a people pleaser, and you have a really hard time saying no. Or maybe you are a people avoider, and you have a really hard time saying yes. And deep in your heart, you know that you need to put more margin in your life so that you can step into spaces and do things that matter, but it's your fear of of, of pleasing others that keeps you from saying no to things that maybe don't matter that much so that you've got margin to do things that do matter. Or you're you're a people avoider that you don't say yes to things that you should step into. I believe that strength and courage to do really hard things, in an emergency, in a time of crisis, I believe that over time we can develop that type of strength and courage by doing less hard things day after day, over and over again. But where do we find that strength? Where do we find the strength and courage that we need to do hard things in our everyday lives? I believe that what we're going to talk about today as we look at the life of Joshua I think it's going to give us some insight into how we do that. How do, we, how do we have the strength and courage to do hard things? Maybe not always life and death, but just hard things in life that we need strength, that we need courage to do. Would you open your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 1? Some of you are very familiar with Joshua's story. Some of you are not. I'll do my best to give you some baseline context and some baseline information so that this makes sense to you. When you jump into very, the very first verse, Joshua 1.1, it says that Moses died. Now, even if you've not been around uh, church or the things of faith for a long time, most people have heard of Moses. Moses was 
this uh, icon leader of the Israelites who led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and, and uh, he was the, the guy that God gave the Ten Commandments to, and he, he established this form of governmental laws for the people that, that lived generations, hundreds of years in slavery, and they needed to have some structure and, and, and laws for themselves, and, and, and God used Moses to establish all things, and, and uh, he was there that, that led the people with uh, miracle food from heaven and, and, and miracle water out of a rock, all that stuff, that's Moses. And now he's dead. After 40-some-plus years, Moses is, is now dead. And it says in verse 1 that after Moses died, God turns to Joshua and says to him, my Mo- Moses, my servant, is dead. Now the time has come for you, Joshua, to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River and into the land that I am giving them. God gives Joshua this very clear mission, this very clear purpose. Joshua, I want you to go do some hard things. And then God gives Joshua this incredible pep talk. And it's gonna, I think it's inspiring. It's inspiring to me when I read it. I hope that you'll be inspired. But we're going we're gonna to dig down into this pep talk this morning and maybe pull out some things that can help us be strong and courageous to do hard things too. So let's take a look at it. Go to verse 5. Verse 5, God says, No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. I wonder if there's someone sitting here this morning, someone sitting on the other side of that camera that needs to hear that in their soul, that God will not fail you, that God will not abandon you. Be strong, verse 6, be strong and courageous for you, Joshua. You're the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What an incredible encouragement. What an incredible pep talk. But why... If you know the story of Joshua, if you know anything about his life, you might wonder, why is it that God feels the need to give Joshua this pep talk? I mean, does he really need it? Joshua, when you look back over his life, was was born into slavery in Egypt, and he experienced firsthand all the signs and wonders that God did to bring his people out of Egypt. All those plagues that you've read about or heard about in Egypt, he experienced all that. He watched God do that. Joshua was there and experienced the walk across the Red Sea when when the waters parted, when God parted the waters and and the Israelites walked across on dry land. He he experienced that. He walked across and and the waters beside. And when they got to the other side and, and he looked back, he saw God 
defeat the Egyptian army by using those same walls of water to defeat that army. He experienced it. When they started traveling towards the promised land, it, it was Joshua who led that very first battle against the Amalekites who, who attacked them. And, and uh, on paper, it doesn't make any sense that this, this group of slaves, that's all they've ever known, goes to fight seasoned uh, warriors of these Amalekites. And, and yet God used Joshua, God used him to lead the Israelites to victory in that battle that they shouldn't have won. He experienced that. It says in verse 1, I didn't read it to you, but it says in verse 1 that, that Joshua was Moses' personal assistant. So he's right there with Moses through all of this over 40 plus years. He got the best leadership training. He experienced God's power and presence in ways that most of the people in Israel hadn't. If anyone should have courage and strength inside of them, to go do hard things, it's Joshua. And yet God says to him three times, Joshua, be strong and courageous. He repeats it three times. What did God know about Joshua? What did God know about this moment in his life that that's what he needed to hear? Maybe it was about what happened 40 years in the past. Because Joshua was in this moment before when, uh, when God takes the, the, the people of Israel up to the promised land and says, now I want you to go in and conquer the land. I'm giving you this land. Forty years ago, the same thing happened. And at that time, Moses was the leader, and Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land to check things out. And those 12 spies came back, and they're like, yeah, the, the promised land is everything God said it would be. It, it really is the land flowing with milk and honey. It's incredible. But only Joshua and Caleb said to the people and to Moses, we can do this. Let's go do our things. God said, let's conquer it. Let's do it. The other 10 spies said, no, 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 we, we can't. The people in that land, they're too big. They're too strong. They're too powerful. We'll, we'll all die. And their negativity, their fear spread throughout the nation like wildfire, and they refused to go in. Not only that, but in that moment, they wanted, some of them wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb to death for even suggesting that they should go in. Is it possible that in that moment, as God says to Joshua, I want you to lead the people into the promised land. Is it possible that in that moment that Joshua in his mind and his heart remembered standing there in the same kind of moment 40 years ago, remembering what happened? I lived that before. It didn't go so well. Maybe, maybe it was just God being the incredible, loving, heavenly father that he is. When my son goes off to play football on Friday nights before he leaves the house. I know he's big and strong and capable. I know all those things. But before he leaves the house, I like to give him a little pep talk, right? Like, rip it and stick it, man, let's go! Because I love him. Because I'm rooting for his success. And I want him to know that. Whatever reason God had to give Joshua this pep talk, 
What God said to Joshua that day, I think, gives us some insight into where you and I can find courage and strength to go do hard things. And what I'd like to do is we're going to look at at uh, each one of those instances was God says, be strong and courageous, but with the backdrop of this idea of never forget. The first thing I notice is this, that strength and courage to do hard things comes from never forgetting that God is with us. Never forget that God is with us. God says that to him twice in, in this pep talk. He assures Joshua that he is with him. When Jesus came to the earth, the angel who announced his birth said that he would be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God what? With us. Hebrews 13.5. This is an incredible promise. Watch. It says this. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That sounds familiar, right? Didn't we just read that? The writer of Hebrews takes that promise that God gave to Joshua and applies it to believers like you and me. It's amazing. When we have to go do hard things, never forget that God is with us. And I want you to explore with me even that, that short word, that preposition, the word with, because uh, yes, it means in, in, in the presence of God, that God is present with us, but it also means that God's for us. I look back over the last 20 years of ministry here at Grace Fellowship, and certainly as I look back, I can see lots of incredible mountaintop-type experiences, and certainly there have been uh, those dark, low-valley experiences along the way, too. Days when I have felt inadequate, days when I have felt discouraged, days when I have felt defeated. And I cannot tell you how thankful I have been that through it all, the highs and lows, the good and the bad, the things that were fun, the things that weren't through all of it, I am so thankful that my wife has been with me through all of it. Having someone who believes in you, having someone that you know is for you, not against you, it gives you strength, it gives you courage to do hard things. And as thankful as I am for uh, my wife being with me in ministry, I'm even more thankful that Jesus has been with me. That Jesus has been with us through all of it. Romans 8.31, check this verse out. I, I do want you to hold your finger in Joshua and check this out because in Romans chapter 8, there's just some incredible amazing things about the presence of God, about what it actually means. When we say God is with us, there's some depth to that that I don't want you to miss. We start with Romans 8, 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? It's just another way of describing the presence of God, that God is with us, that he's for us, that he's rooting for us. He's on our side. The phrase, who can be against us, really is a rhetorical question. Because when God is for us, it really doesn't matter who is against us. It's like playing pickup basketball and, and you've got Michael Jordan on your team. Who gives a rip who shows up to the playground to play? Bring it on. 
We got Jordan. We can't lose. God is for us. Who can be against us? There's just some amazing things in this whole chapter. One of the things that you need to remember when we talk about the presence of God, talk about God being with us, is that when you trust Jesus Christ as your forgiver, as your Savior, when that happens, in that moment of salvation, you repent of your sin and you invite Jesus in your life, when that happens, He also gives you His Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And here's why that matters. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. You ever have moments when you feel weak, when you feel like, I don't, this is so bad, I don't even know what to pray or how to pray about this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, when we don't know what God wants us to pray for, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. The Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads The Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Do you get that? That the Holy Spirit is praying for you. That's what it means that God is with us. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. You don't even know how to pray, and your heart is so broken, and you don't know what to do with it all. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. That's not all. Look at verse 28. We know that Many of you probably remember this verse. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose for them. This verse reminds us that no matter what you're walking through, no matter how dark or how hard it is, that God is at work in that situation for your good. He is for you. That's not all. We go down... To verse 31, we see God's for us. Who can be against us? Look at verse 32. Since he, God, did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. We are about to witness, we are about to read the incredible love of God, the incredible love of Jesus Christ, and what it actually means for your everyday life. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Jesus is praying for you. No matter what it feels like and how out of control it feels like, the the, the fact that God is with us, the Holy Spirit's praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. And you cannot for one second lose the love of God. Look at this. Can anything, verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Please don't miss this next verse because I know that there have been some of us who have been in these moments and we have asked this question and we didn't know the answer. Does it mean that God no longer loves us if we have trouble? Does it mean that God no longer loves us if we experience calamity, that we are persecuted, that we're hungry or destitute, in danger, threatened with death? Does that mean that God no longer loves you? Some of you have asked that question. And the answer is found in the very next verse. It's simply, no, that's not what that means. You can't lose the love of God. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ 
who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what it means when we say that God is with us. I go back to Joshua's story, and I see that God tells him, don't be discouraged. Don't be terrified. I'm with you. When you and I have to go do hard things, we must never, ever forget that God is with us. Here's the second thing. Strength and courage to do hard things comes from never forgetting your why. Never forgetting your why. God has a purpose for Joshua that he reveals to him, and that gave Joshua incredible strength and courage. There was a reason why he was going to cross the Jordan. There was a reason why he was going to go do some hard things and conquer this land. It was a God-given purpose. It's a pretty common phrase in organizational uh, speech today to, to say, know your why. Understand why you are doing what you are doing. And it's not just organizations that need to know what their purpose is. It's not just organizations that need to know why they're doing what they're doing or why they exist. You and I need that too. We need to know what we value. We, we need to know what really matters to us because there's some things in life that maybe they matter to us, but they don't really matter. Maybe we value them, but they don't have a lot of value. And then there are other things in our lives that have tremendous value that should matter to us, and they just don't, not like they should. And we've got to be able to process that. We've got to be able to ask those hard questions of ourselves. Why are you doing what you are doing? What is it that motivates you to do hard things? If we're willing to do hard things... It's because we, we put some type of, uh, some level of value on that. That's why we do it, even if it's hard. We, something matters to us enough to do something hard. If, for example, if the dollar store, you pick one, Roaring Spring, Dungsville, if the dollar store caught fire this afternoon and I was in the parking lot, I'm telling you right now, I would not run in and try to rescue all the junk that's in the dollar store. I don't care. Let it burn. But I can also tell you with confidence that if my wife were inside buying that junk in the dollar store when it caught fire, then yeah, I would risk my life to save her, to rescue her. Why? Because she matters that much to me. It's not special about me. It's not that I'm some uh, hero or, or super courageous. That's not true of me. You you would do the same thing. You do this all the time. You, you sacrifice for the things that matter to you. You do it all the time. You sacrifice things for the people and the things that matter most to you. You do it every day. And you also make choices. We all do. We, we all make choices that we will not sacrifice for this person, for this thing, because it doesn't matter that much to us. It, it doesn't have that high of value for us. We, we do this every day. The question we've got to evaluate in our hearts, are we valuing the right things? 
Do the things that matter to us really matter? Those are really important questions. And as followers of Christ, we've got to make sure that we are uh, coming back to our why as believers. What is our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ? Jesus gave us a purpose. It's in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus says this to disciples, I, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. There's your why. This is your purpose. This is my purpose as a believer, as a follower of Christ, to make disciples, to share our faith with others. It says here, baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. This is really important. Verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Make disciples and then teach them how to live a Jesus-centered life. Baptism is part of that, but it's not the only part of what that means. Now, this is really cool because at the end of, of verse 20, Jesus gives them this assurance. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so there's, there's strength, there's courage to know that Jesus is with us in this mission. But I think there's also strength that, that just comes, courage that comes from pursuing a mission that we know matters because it matters to Jesus. If we value the mission of Jesus, if, if the mission of Jesus matters to us, we're going to have strength, we're going to have courage to pursue it, to accomplish it, even when it's hard, even when it's scary, even if it requires a sacrifice, even if it requires of us a risk, because we value it, because it matters. When you've got to go do hard things, never, never forget your why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Third, strength and courage to do hard things comes from never forgetting to obey God. Did you notice when you went through, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, in the middle one, there was one word added to that phrase. It was the word very. In the middle, God says, be strong and very courageous, and it's connected to... This, this whole section, this whole paragraph about obedience. Did you notice that? He goes through this whole thing. Be strong and very courageous. Make sure that you obey everything that God has instructed us. Make sure you study the book. Make sure you meditate on the book so that you know what God expects and that you can live it out. I want to kind of address it this way. Life is hard enough. Life is hard enough without allowing unconfessed sin to make a mess in our lives, without inviting the discipline of God into our lives. Hebrews 12, 6 says the Lord disciplines those He loves. Verse 10 says that God disciplines us for our good. 2 Peter 3, 17 says it's, it, it is better if, God, if it's God's will to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. Life's got enough difficulty without adding the, the mess of sin, without adding to it the discipline of God. Now, it's important to understand that the discipline of God is, is for a good reason. God loves us, and He disciplines us because He knows where sin will take us. Sin will always take us farther than we want to go. It will always take us into places that will make a mess. God knows that. It's not what He wants for our lives, and so He disciplines us to get our attention to bring us to a place of repentance, 
so that we don't wind up making our lives a mess. You know, driving down the highway on a road trip, wherever you might go, now, just driving down the highway has risks involved. And you go on a longer trip, there, there, are, there are risks that you can't control. A flat tire, uh, something breaks down at an inopportune time. We were on the turnpike one time at, at, with our camper uh, headed to Hershey, and a tire blew it. That is not the place you want to change a tire on the turnpike. It's scary, right? There are, there are risks to taking a trip that you can't control, like bad drivers and potholes that came out of nowhere. How foolish it is to add unnecessary risk, unnecessary trouble by you know, speeding like a maniac or driving like an aggressive jerk. You're just adding unnecessary risk to something that already has enough risk in it. I ask an honest question. I don't, I don't expect you to raise your hand. I don't expect you to, to answer out loud. But have you, ever, have you ever experienced a problem in life that you caused? Like, you said something, you did something, you created the problem. Yeah, I've, I'll say I've done that. I was the reason for the problem. It's not, it's not that obedience to God insulates us from all heartache, from all loss, from all problems. We still live in a broken, sinful world. But obedience to God does protect us from messes that we don't have to experience, that we bring on ourselves from poor choices. There's a certain strength and courage that we can experience every day just by obeying God. And I'm not talking about like this self-righteous pride. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about there's courage and strength in our conscience to know we're doing the right thing because God says it's the right thing. There's courage in that. When you've got to go do hard things, never forget to obey God. One more. And this goes to the end of the chapter. So you go back to Joshua chapter 1. In verse 16, uh, what's happened, God gives Joshua this pep talk. Joshua then goes to the people and says, guys, we're, we're packing up and we're going into the promised land. And it's going to be hard, but we're, we're going. Let's go. And it's kind of uncertain as to what's going to happen in that moment. But then we see in verse 16, they answered Joshua, and it's completely different this time. They say in verse 16, we will do whatever you command us. We'll go wherever you send us. We'll obey you just as we obeyed Moses, and may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders does not obey your words. Everything you command, will be, uh, they'll be put to death. So, Joshua, be strong. And courageous. They give him this incredible pep talk. Strength and courage to do hard things comes from never forgetting your family, your church family, the people that, that God has given us to support us, to do hard things in life. In Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about this this need that we have for one another, this God-given need. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Don't neglect, don't abandon, don't give up our meeting together, our gathering together as some people do 
Instead, we need to gather. We need to be around each other. We need to be with one another. Why? So we can encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The reason he he points to that is because the closer we get to the return of Jesus, the harder it's going to get to be a follower of Christ. We feel that. And he says the closer we get, the harder it gets. When you need to go do hard things, you need your church family with you. There might be days where you feel like, like Jesus is the only one who's with you. You might, you might have days like that. But that's why Jesus gave us the church. So that we could be with each other, so that we could be for each other, so that we could encourage each other. I traveled almost two hours this past week on Thursday. I uh, went to Catanning to meet with a group of pastors from our West Penn District of Churches. So if you're not familiar with kind of Karis Fellowship as a, as a national family of churches, uh, they have them broken down, all the churches across the country, broken down into districts. Ours is called West Penn, and uh, there are like 20 churches in West Penn District that go from the Pittsburgh area out to beyond State College in Kish Valley and then everywhere in between. A lot of churches in Johnstown and Everett and, and here in this area. And so we gather together as pastors once a month. And it's a commitment. It's a commitment to our schedules. It's a commitment uh, to uh, just, just traveling, to be in these places. And the reason that I go is, is to be with my, my brothers in Christ, to, to be with pastors and, and be encouraged by them, and so hopefully to be an encouragement to them. And so I make that a priority. This particular week, uh, we got into a conversation, and it came up in our conversation that uh, there are a lot of new pastors in our district, and there's a number of reasons. Some pastors have died, some have retired, some have moved away, and we just are in a place right now where there are a lot of new pastors in our district. Now, when I say new, uh, I mean they've been in their churches in our district for maybe one to three years, somewhere in there. And the conversation was this. They were expressing how it is hard for them, it has been difficult for them, uh, to to build the kind of deep relationship that they yearn for in our district. And the reason for that is when you come into a district like ours, uh, some of us have been here our whole lives. I've known Pastor Brant Lighty from Martinsburg my entire life. He and I have been lifelong friends. And it's, that's not the only friendship. So there's some of us have known each other for decades. And so we've got this built-in relationship for, for a long, long time. And when someone new comes in, it can be difficult for them to feel apart, for, difficult for them to break into those, those friendships. And sometimes it's because we just don't think about it. We've got our, we've got our relationships and our friendships, and uh, we just don't always in, open ourselves up to, to these new guys. Not intentionally. Uh, but that's just the reality of what sometimes happens. It was good to hear that. It was good to be reminded that that's hard. And the, the discussion was this, that they have, as new pastors, they've got a responsibility to keep coming, to be there, to be with us. That's, the, that's their responsibility. We've got some pastors in our district that don't show up. They don't come. And they don't have that relationship. They're out there kind of on their own. They're doing their thing. And when, when hard days come, who are they going to call? It's their responsibility to be there. But it's also our responsibility as pastors to open ourselves up 
and invite them in and to be intentional about those conversations and all of that. It goes both ways. Now, here's why I'm telling you all of that. As we were having that discussion, it made me think about our church dynamic right now. Because our church dynamic over the past year, almost two years now, has, has shifted. It's changed. And there are a lot of new families in the room, which is amazing, which is great. And I just want to recognize that it can be hard. It can be hard to go into a new church family. You don't know where things are. You don't know how things work. You don't know who's who. And that can be really scary. It can be hard. It can be hard to finally find yourself in a place where you feel like you connect, where you belong. I just want to recognize that that's true, that that's hard. I think it's important for those of us who have been here, maybe our entire lives, been here a long, long time, just to recognize the fact that the person who's coming in, the family that's new, that's, that's not an easy experience for them, and just be sensitive to that. So here's, here's what I want to say to both sides of that. This church wasn't, you know, this church isn't 10 years old. It's been around since the, the 1940s. And so some of you have been around a long time, and you've been part of this church family for a long time. And that's great. That's amazing. But as we grow, as new families come into our church family, we need to make sure that on, from both sides that we do our part. So if you are new, listen, if you are a new family, my, my encouragement, my challenge to you is uh, to continue to be in the room, to make the effort. You cannot, I don't mean this harshly, I just a reality, you cannot expect people to chase you down in the parking lot and beg you to be their friend. That would be weird anyway. So don't, don't have that as your expectation. If someone did that to me my first week, I'd be like, I'm out, this place is weird, right? So don't have that as your expectation. But you got to be in the room. you got to let yourself open and, and allow some of that to just happen naturally. Some things that you can do. Number one, we've got this new to grace class that we're offering next Sunday at 9.30 over here in the kitchen. Come to that. Meet our staff. Meet some new people. The other thing I would say, a great opportunity uh, would be uh, to come to Grace Group. We're starting this, kicking this off tonight. Be in the room. It's really hard to get to know people if you're not in the room to get to know them. So come. Be part of that. Meet some new people uh, and on the other side of that, that's, that's your part. you, you got to make the effort. But on the other side of that, those of us who have been around a, a long time, who have been here a while, we've got to open up our hearts. We've got to open up the, the space for some new relationships. We have a tendency to kind of stand around, and we've, uh, we've got the circle of people that we know, and, and it's nice to catch up. And Nothing wrong with that, but we've got to be willing to open up that circle and let some new people be part of it. And, and I would say this, it's not just the, uh, the willingness to open up. You've got to be in the room. You've got to be part of what we're doing. This is, this is good. I love Sunday mornings. I look forward to it every week. But this is not where we're building relationships. That happens in those smaller settings, in those circles of 8, 10, 12 people. That's where you're going to get to know people and build genuine relationships. And you've got you to be there. Really hard to get to know you if you're not in the room. Here's why I think all this matters. You and I, we've got hard things to do. We've got hard things to do in life. 
And having a church family that lifts you up in prayer, that's there to give you a hug, that shows up to the viewing, that, that, uh, that remembers to give you a call, right? All of those things matter when we go to do hard things. And that's what we're supposed to be. And as we grow as a church, we are going to, I'm telling you, we are going to lose that close-knit intimacy as we grow if we are not intentional about staying small in relationship. You can't have a close relationship with 400 people. That's not realistic. But you can have a close relationship with 10, 12. We've got to make the effort. When you have to go do hard things, never forget your church family. Jump back to Joshua's story real quick. We're going to finish with this. Joshua took this incredible pep talk from God. He used it. God used him to lead people really well. Joshua did hard things. We go back to the end of his story. So we start in chapter 1. Let's go to the end of the book, Joshua 24. Before Joshua dies, it says, so verses four, uh, verse 14, Fear the Lord, serve him wholeheartedly. This is his last speech to the people. They're getting ready to go out into the promised land after doing some really hard things and conquering the land. He says, put away forever the idols of your ancestors. Serve the Lord alone. He tells them to make a decision. You have to choose. If you're going to refuse to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, then go ahead and choose. You're going to serve the, the idols from Egypt. You're going to serve the idols from the people groups here in, in this land that we've conquered. Or are you going to serve God? He says, make a decision. And he says, but as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. This is incredible. Verse 16, like, we're in. We are all in, Joshua. We're not going to abandon the Lord. We're not going to serve these other gods. And they meant it, and they lived it. I love how Joshua comes back at them. He says, no, guys, listen, seriously. It's not going to be easy. It's, it's, it's going to be hard to follow the Lord. He says in verse 19, Joshua warned the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's, he's holy. He's jealous. If you guys abandon the Lord, there's, there's discipline coming. There's hard things coming. This is not going to be easy. And they said, no, we're in, Joshua. We are all in. We will serve the Lord. And they did. Go to the next book, Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Verse 6, same scene, Joshua sends the people away after this pep talk, after this incredible thing, and, and each of the tribes left. They go to take possession of the land that's allotted to them. The Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But then in verse 8, Joshua dies, and look at verse 10. I think it's one of the saddest most rattling verses in all of Scripture. Verse 10, After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. They did not remember the mighty things that He had done for Israel. This is why we can never forget. We are always only one generation away. We can never forget what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We can never forget what the power of His resurrection means for our everyday lives. And we've got to keep telling that story. What happened on 9-11 20 years ago, it changed life in America. Some of you might remember what it was like to get on an airplane prior to 9-11. It's not like it is now. There was a day where you could just walk to the gate. Privacy died on 9-11. Right? There's some things that changed that were permanent. 
But there were also some changes that happened that unfortunately were short-lived. Like for a brief moment, Americans were, were unified. We, we, for a brief moment, we looked at each other as human beings with love and compassion. And it was amazing. Americans at that time were searching for God. They were either uh, searching out God for the first time, or some people were returning back to God after, uh, after drifting away from him for years. It was an incredible thing, and it lasted about two weeks. It didn't take 20 years to fade. I don't think anyone would describe our country right now as unified. I don't think that's a word we would describe our country with. And, and if I'm being honest, uh, I don't even know that I could describe the Christian church in America, I mean, as a whole, I'm sure that there are others, I hope that we are one of them, but as a whole, that the Christian church in America really is putting Jesus in center priority. I, I, I don't know that that's true across the country. And I don't know what's going to happen over the next year, five years. I mean, certainly we all kind of feel the way things are trending. I'm sure you feel that tension, but I don't know. I don't know what life's going to look like five years from now. Here's what I do know. I do know that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have got to be and stay unified around Jesus. You and I, as a church family, have got to stay unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ and living it out together. We've got to keep that as our first priority. If you've got something hard to do this week, remember that God's with you. Remember your why. Why are you doing what you're doing? And evaluate those values. Remember to obey God. Remember your church family. And never, ever forget the power of the gospel that is available to you every day. Here's what I don't want. I don't want, I hope that you were inspired. I hope that this pep talk this morning gave you courage and hope and strength. But I don't want this to be just a pep talk that you got for a moment and then uh, it fades. We're going to do something with it. I want to challenge you to do something, to put this into action. So here's the challenge. I want to challenge you to find three people, intentionally look for three people that you know this week are going to go do hard things, whatever it is. They're going to do something hard, and you know about it. Find a way to encourage them. Find a way to step into their life and, and, and just encourage them to be strong and courageous. One of the ways you can do that on our website, brand new on our website, we've got uh, something called Snacks and Encouragement. It's our mission of the month for September. We'll tell you more about it next week, but check it out. We, we want to be able to encourage kids. Kids are They've got some rough stuff going on right now, and there's tension and all this stuff that they didn't ask for. We want to be able to encourage them with some snacks and some encouraging notes. Check that out and uh, be a part of that. And here's what I'll say. Let's count that as one. Let's not say, oh, I helped 50 kids with a snack and encouragement. Yes, you did, and that's amazing, but let's count that as one. There are still people in your life that need to be encouraged. And if you get the three... Please don't be that person like, I did three, I'm out. There's number four, I don't care, I did my three. Don't be like that either. As God gives you opportunity, make it a goal, minimum three, but see how many opportunities God gives you this week to step into someone's life and encourage them. Be strong and courageous. Remember that God is with you. Can you do that?